Hey guys, it's Chris Bercher and this is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. Welcome back. This is episode 65, How Do You Know If You Really Know What You Think You Know? Or How Do We Know If We Really Know What We Think We Know? <laughs> I don't know where I heard this. Uh, sometime when I was younger, maybe in college, and I thought it was pretty funny, but it's a worthwhile question, right? How do you, how do you know? Uh, and we'll get to that in a minute, but first a little bit of uh, housekeeping. I'm not sure when the last time I recorded, when I recorded episode 64, but it seems like a lot of time has passed, uh, and I have had a gangrenous gallbladder and had that removed. Uh, did a week aboard a catamaran for sailing school, and uh, my wife and I just bought a 10-unit apartment complex. So it seems like there's been a lot going on, and ordinarily in the past, that would have rattled me pretty good. Um, a lot going on and a lot of stress used to throw me off and put me on a path of overthinking and rumination and fear-mongering and catastrophizing the future, mind-reading, all that kind of stuff. Uh, And it just doesn't anymore. And so I've been a little bit perplexed about what exactly is going on, and I I can't really tell you. Uh, But the theme of today's episode will build to what I think is happening in my life. And uh, where we're going to end is uh, a Toltec and Taoist um, concept, at least that's where I heard it, and they're pretty old, so I'm not sure what would predate that, uh, the concept of not doing or non-doing. And hopefully, episode 65, how do we know if we really know what we think we know, will lead us to why that matters and why that's the conclusion of today's episode. So this whole idea of knowing, you know, the knowledge part of knowledge plus experience equals wisdom, we just assume that, like, you know, if you go back to my first episode, facts, truth, beliefs, or, or whatever, that's sort of what I'm getting at. Is there a finite knowledge? Is there a place where we arrive and go, yes, I know this? Now, what's the square root of two? You know, well, um, it's an irrational number, and it's got a whole lot of decimal places. Do you ever get to a place where you say, this is it? Um, or um, do I love this person? Do you know? Or do I really want steak instead of tacos tonight? Um, and some, some of those things don't really matter. But if you think about it, there is, a, a, I don't know, is it a choice? Is it a decision? Are your beliefs, you know, uh, do you ultimately just say, well, this is what I think it is. And so now I know. And definitively, this is the truth. You know, I define the truth as something beyond human construct that is um, in, undeniable and sort of larger than life and, and inherent to itself. Uh, and it's hard. So it's really hard to define truth. And I think in the same way, it's hard to define knowing. It's hard to say we definitively ever reach finite choices or, or that we have the capacity to not do that, right? We are a dynamic, growing, and changing. Remember, you know, the, the fundamental truth is that life uh, in the universe changes through time. And so maybe, maybe the idea of truth, finality, knowing, uh, making a finite decision, whatever this is, knowing what we know we really know, when we know we really know what we think we know, that's really not part of being a biological entity. You know, maybe that's not the point. Maybe we created this need 
or this belief that we can know, and then sort of built all this crap around it that really doesn't serve us any purpose other than convincing us that we know or that we don't. Um, How many times do you really need a final, ultimate decision or belief or fact or knowledge? Or can you just be content with pretty close or a range of ideas or some potential explanations that make more sense than another list of potential explanations? You know, what is the how of knowing and what is the what that we know, (laughs) you know? And if we can't even define those things, then what difference does it make? And if we can't figure out why it's important that of a suite of potential answers, you know, one of them is more correct than the others. And maybe that's a good explanation. It's not right. It's not knowledge. It's not truth. It's not finite. It's just pretty close to that. It's sort of like trying to define what infinity is. You know, maybe infinity and the ultimate truth are kind of the same thing. You know, maybe it's like that old thing where you can't, you don't actually ever touch a wall because you continually half the distance between yourself and the wall and you never actually touch it. You know, we're approaching the range of what I would call unknowable. And usually when I get into that spot, I'm confident or comfortable just saying, you know, that's beyond my perception or my need to understand. And therefore I can leave that a mystery. And I can get kind of close to it, and maybe it's fun to sort of play with some explanations, but I know I'll never know what it is to know that. (laughs) And so I realize that I'm playing, and I realize that it doesn't matter. And maybe that's kind of the key here, is that we put so much importance, value, and attachment on knowing the truth or the facts or the reality or whatever this thing is, And we get obsessed with it and create a bunch of problems because we simply just can't ever know it. And why can't we just chill the hell out and be comfortable not knowing that? And I think the explanation to that is fear. You know, we 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 pursue this knowledge, these feelings, these understandings, these choices, these decisions, these beliefs, this knowing. We pursue this because we think it will make us secure if there's only one explanation to whatever the thing is. Uh, but in fact, it doesn't work like that. And, our, and, and the real issue isn't that we don't know. The real issue is that we're afraid of not knowing. And we can't really exist in the space where all of these things can be so mysterious, right? I, it's so weird. It's sort of like waking up in the morning and uh, knowing that the, that the crops are going to come in in a week and be able to feed the village for the next six months. You know, we can't know that. And I think at some point in our existence, that was fine. Even though we might have lived through years with drought and, or, 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 or cold snaps or other environmental conditions that did kill our food source for the winter. And we suffered and struggled through that winter. And so now we have this fear of it happening again. And so that kind of runs our lives. We try to control and keep that from happening when really it's so far out of our control it's impossible to control, that we're better off not worrying about it. You know, we're better off just understanding this is a one potential outcome of several. It's, the, it's a bad one. It's less desirable. But we've lived through it before and we survived it. And now we have potentially ways of coming up with um, alternative strategies in the event that that might happen. Not that we want to catastrophize and assume the worst 
and 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 live in that sort of space of fear, but that just that we can sort of move past the fear and be comfortable with the variability that is inherent to life. You know, that I think we used to do that because we didn't know any better. And then through time, you know, we tried to get ahead of all these things and more and more we tried to control the future, which is just something that we can't do. And as much as we can't really define what we know, and there are no absolute truths that are understandable with a human mind. Maybe they exist out there somewhere, but they're it's not important for us to know that. It's but but for some reason we need we feel the need, we feel compelled to do that. You know that that's where we screw up right from the beginning. Rather than believing our intelligence is supreme and that we can understand everything through the scientific method or whatever about the world, when did when did that shift from being a part of this world that we don't really have to understand in as much as we can participate fully in it? And I think as long as we can participate fully in it, we can ask the questions. But what happens is the quest for these finite this finite knowledge, this knowing has superseded the connectivity to the ultimate source in the first place. It's like we've replaced this inherent existence as part of the universe with uh, a a constructed understanding of the universe. And this all, I think, makes sense with where I want to go over with the next 10, 15 minutes, is this shift from participating in the world to trying to understand the world. And I get that again. I think it's based in fear. The more we understand where we live, the, the more we can reduce the fear, the more comfortable, you know, the more relaxed we can be. But what if we just skip all of that stuff with faith and just say, I belong here. The universe has taken care of humans and vice versa for hundreds of thousands of years. That will probably continue and can I chill out a little bit on this need to like subdue my fear and instead put that fear out into the universe to be managed the way it always has been and just sort of take away, you know, what would life be like if we weren't so obsessed with knowing and we were more comfortable being? I think that gets at the point, the, the critical point here because we know and I, and I can't, you know, examples are dumb. Like all the examples I can think of are what do you, you're in the drive-thru, you're hungry, you order some food, you go through all these decisions. You could get all kinds of different things, but you make a decision, you move forward. Maybe you regret the decision. Maybe you enjoy the decision. Do you really know what you want in the first place, right? Do you, when you, my daughter going into college, do you know what job you want to have when you're 45? Do you know how you're going to feel about politics when you're 60? Do you know when you're going to die? You know, all of these things essentially are unknowable, especially if there's things that happen in the future. Now, you can trick yourself into thinking that you can know these things by uh, introducing infinite levels of control. You know, damn it, I'm going to be a Republican. I'm 60. I know it. And I'm going to make sure because I'm going to dig the dogma and study it daily and push until I'm there. And then I can be like, ha, I told you. I mean, sure, you can manipulate the world and your and your beliefs and your feeling and your knowledge about it will follow, right? And my point here is that 
aren't these decisions just kind of arbitrary? Right? Don't you just make them as a choice, and then you act on that choice, and then you go into the future through that choice, and then you come out on the other side of it going, yeah, okay, I did that. Does it? And, and sure, if you had a suite of 10 choices of people to love or names for your kids or cars to buy or places to visit or jobs to take or majors or whatever those things are or, or drugs to do or how much drinking, all those decisions, there's a suite of choices. You make one, you move through it, you look back and you go, well, I wonder what it would have happened if I had made one of those other infinite number of choices. It would have been different, right? Okay, but you can't do anything about it. So what's the point ultimately? If you can't look back and change it, why are we so obsessed with knowing what's going to happen? Because we're afraid we're going to make the wrong decision. This, this like uh, fear of missing out thing. We're going to like go in the wrong direction and end up in a place and then blame it on some. Dis- but that th- doesn't work like that. You know, you can't single out these decisions and go, "Yeah, that screwed my life up. I never should have done that." You know, it's something you did that got you where you were today. You're alive, therefore it's <laughs> it's good. Now maybe. You wished you hadn't drank so much and driven your car and got into an accident. That's reasonable. You can just learn to not do that again. Now you understand that you had this suite of choices, and maybe you have some addiction problems or whatever, and you can address those things and move forward. And hopefully, sometimes the choices we make are, are life-threatening, deadly, whatever. Uh, and that those are bad, and you know they happen. But that's all part of life. You can't expect... Well, and some people might try this, but I think it creates more misery. The only choice you have is to micromanage every single freaking decision that you ever make to the point where it drives you literally nuts. And that's all you do is spend all of your energy managing this thing and miss out on all of the other things you get to do in life. And maybe you can minimize these things, but then randomness and chance, you still can't ensure that you're going to make the correct decision every time. You can make sure that you make safer decisions, but that's it. You still run the risk of, of um, you know, some stochastic random event just ruining your life uh, for which you couldn't have possibly made a choice. And so it's just a silly, it's a silly thing without a real potential solution. Now, one of the things that I've discovered recently is a branch of psychology called internal family systems. And in internal family systems, they sort of describe these multiple choices as individual personality types. And I've talked about this a little bit before, or parts or characters that we carry around with us. So we might have eight or 10 or 15 different sort of sub parts who would all make different decisions, who all have different belief systems, who all uh, make different choices, who all have a different set of knowledge, because they're based on things that happen to us at certain ages, and they never really changed, and we carry those with us. So it really... We have an internal family that operates as a system that uh, may not even really, really be aware that there are other parts. And so this branch of psychology is all about getting these different parts together and then meeting with what is called yourself with a capital S. And there's my point. It's theoretically this thing exists. The ego, the self, the self with a capital S, uh, that sort of is the ultimate decision maker, the ultimate chooser the ultimate knower, uh, if, we, if we want to look at our bodies that way, that we have multiple parts, but that one of them stands out from the rest as being more, well, characterized as being 
more clear-headed, more loving, more in the moment, right? More touchy-feely. That can sort of... um, the least biased version of yourself that sort of sees these other parts and can take all the information in, process it, and use that to make decisions and to know. That would be as close as I think we can get to some idea of knowing, right? Is to understand all of the different needs, wants, beliefs um, that live inside of us and that they all kind of can be filtered through this self. And then this gets towards what uh, another thing I've been thinking about a lot, and that is the idea of manifesting, manifesting or sort of believing that what you want, know, believe, choose exists in the world for you to have. And that might be a whole nother episode because I'm just now to the point of opening up to this because things like the secret and twists on what manifesting really is have sort of my scientific mind, analytical mind, have been unable to stomach those versions of manifesting. But I'm getting a little bit closer to sort of accepting that our beliefs can lead to changes in our relationship with the world, especially if they're funneled through sort of this 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 self with a capital S or this accum- this culmination of all of our different. Beliefs, choices, decisions, needs, wants, and all that other stuff. If we can sort of collect that in and then force light through a, a, a more narrow point, I think we come out with something that's come up with something that's closer to what we know or what we believe. And then, if if you remember episode nine, I went through the idea that beliefs can be limiting. And the beliefs, beliefs can be irrational. And oftentimes, associated with these parts, especially younger parts, we do make decisions about what we know and what reality is uh, based on traumatic events that happen in our lives. And we sort of cement those things, and they can become limiting beliefs. For example, I'm not good enough. I'm an imposter. Uh, eventually, everybody will see that I'm a fraud. Um, nobody loves me. Um, um, I can't have money because money is for other people. These things happen to us as a youth. We try to explain them with our with our limited capacity, and we actually come to decisions and choices that become beliefs, and again, a way that we feel like we know the world. We feel like we know we are an inauthentic imposter, and we know we're putting on a front to everybody else in the world, and we know if they could actually see who we really were, that they would dislike us and not love us, and we would be lonely and you know abandoned. That, that's a real thing, the imposter syndrome, because we've made a decision about how we interpret reality. We decided we know these things, and that becomes a belief that limits us from living up to our full potential. Which is why it's important to identify our belief systems, our values, figure out which beliefs can be limiting, and then learn to reprogram. And this is really what internal family systems work does, is we talk to those, we, we, we make peace with those parts of us and let them understand that they don't have to keep protecting us by believing these things that aren't real. That's a lot, I understand, uh, but my at the end of the day, I'm starting to believe what I've read from all these different sources, including internal family systems, including some work from the Toltecs, including the work from the Taoists, including Christianity, including self-help, cognitive behavioral therapy, that we tend to make this shit up. Our realities in, in many ways, if not all ways for some people, 
are constructs of our imagination, if you think about it. All of this stuff leads us, all of this not knowing, all of this decision-making about the reality that we see through our unique set of senses and our unique person is a, is a story, it's a dream, as Don Miguel Ruiz would say, about what the world is. And you can take a family of people, literal family of people, not the internal family of systems, and show them a different scene, and they will all interpret it completely different based on their ethnocentric viewpoint. And when they share those things, they'll be like, I didn't see that. What are you talking I didn't even know you were there kind of thing. And so we build our realities. And if that's true, the cool part of all this, one, is we say, wow, that really explains why some of the things that I think and believe are weird or are, are askew or different or unique or that I don't really believe in when I think about it. But it means we can also remake it, right? Our reality, our perception of the world can be rewritten. It can be relearned. It can be unlearned. It can be rescripted. The old programming can be removed and new programming can be laid down. In other words... We choose what we believe and what we know. So how do we know if we really know what we think we know? If you chose it and you wrote it down clear-headed from the position of self with a capital S, then that is enough. That is the definition of knowing for you. And as much as this could lead to the idea of multiple truths, uh, I don't want to go there. And let's just say that's not what truth is. That's some definition of reality that is allowed to be subjective. That's subjective truth, maybe. But we do this, and and hopefully we can agree with other people. Uh, But I think there there is a group of well-studied, call them enlightened, higher level, whatever, humans that have gone through this process, and they tend to arrive at a similar spot, right? Enlightenment tends to look similar regardless of how you got there, regardless of what religion or dogma or training or teachings or belief system gets you to some place, there is this place humans can get to. And I strive to even get on the path toward where we define our reality in a way that is organic, connected, and more like the way we have been for the millions of years or the hundreds of thousands of years that we have been evolving, and less like the modern technological interpretation of what it means to be human. Now, I'm not really sure about that, but it sounds good for the moment. And I want to tie things up because we're getting toward the end. And so the last thing I'll mention is two things that you can study, and I'll put links in the blog post um, toward the Toltec, the sort of men and women of knowledge, predating sort of the Aztecs and the Incas, and the Spanish Inquisition and all that. Uh, Cultures who sort of, (laughs) for lack of a better term, figured all this stuff out, had a belief uh, or a behavioral system they referred to as not doing, of fundamentally sort of understanding the world first, and then instead of trying to control through decision-making, belief systems, and choices but simply tried to live in the world intentionally but unintentionally, and you have to read the explanation because I cannot explain it as well, is actually a method for better relating to the universe. And there are 
all, there's all kinds of wisdom in this concept of not doing for how to live your daily life. And for me personally, this means stop analyzing, stop reading. You know, I've accumulated enough knowledge about, I've accumulated enough choices. Now I need to freaking make one. Take a stand on whatever the issue, embody that, be that, move forward. And the way you do this is by not doing it. Okay. The Taoists had a similar approach they called non-doing, which simply, you know, I can best describe as observing the world and being a part of it. And again, both the links are there for you to study. But I think the secret end of this episode about how do we know, if we really know, we think we know, is you, the way to figure that out is to not ask the question. Is to sit with the idea of the question and let the information of the universe present itself to you. And then, as a means of making a decision about what is real, you don't make a decision about what is real. You see, you know, to, to, to figure out what you want to eat for lunch, you don't worry about making a decision about what you eat for lunch. It'll happen. You know, and I'll close with a book that someone gave me, my high school girlfriend gave me in about 1988, and it was called Zen Driving. And I've often thought about looking for a copy of this book. It was really short. And the whole point that I got out of the book was that driving a car when you're 16 seems like, you know, it's exhausting. It's a mental drain because you're spending so much time being aware and doing and thinking and all these things. And then eventually you put on so many miles in a vehicle and it all, it all, all of a sudden becomes like muscle memory and automatic. You automatically scan and you're actually doing it well. It's, it's, it's the difference between being a crappy, unaware driver who's not paying attention and a driver who's paying attention with their whole self without trying. It's the not doing, the non-doing of driving is in driving. And the idea is that a six-hour road trip can go by and you can come to your destination and go, what just happened? You don't remember any of it, yet you were incredibly aware, good, um, dedicated, attentive, and safe. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, so maybe you can find a copy of that book, and if you do, let me know. <laughs> so this is, uh, this is fun, and I look forward to the, where, the direction of where this is going. And again, I think we're in sort of a transition period between what is the R versus should problem and what do we do about the R versus should problem. And this is a good way of sort of introducing the idea of doing through not doing. I'm Chris Bircher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, uh, iTunes, all those things where you subscribe to. You can follow me on my YouTube channel and subscribe to that. You can subscribe to my blog, get a weekly email when something comes out, flashback episodes on Monday, preview episodes on Wednesday, full episodes on Friday, and I'll be trying to write a Medium article every week if you're involved in Medium. And I appreciate your time and your feedback. This has been episode 65. How do we know if we really know what we think we know? I'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs>